Hello and welcome to the Unlocked Podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Locke, professional speaker, magician and confidence coach. And quite simply, Unlocked is a journal of self-improvement. I'm talking to the experts, authors and successful people from around the world, as well as sharing my mishaps and magical adventures in my own life too, to unlock the best version of ourselves. My aim is to give you some insight and inspiration so you can unlock the best version of yourself too. Now, if this sounds like your cup of tea, then hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of my latest episodes released every Wednesday. Now, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back. This week, you're in for a real treat. I had the absolute pleasure a few months ago to interview Madeline Black. Uh, She has an amazing, deeply moving and empowering story and this episode is is all about the power of forgiveness and also why we need to encourage more people to find their voice and to find their courage. Now, obviously, we will go into the podcast into more detail, but in short, Madeline uh, has a, a very unusual personal story, which she's now using to inspire and motivate other people. But Madeline was violently gang raped when she was 13 years old and raped three more times before even the age of 18 traumatic experiences that she's uh, shared in her life and probably more than most people will ever uh, receive in their life. But now she's on an absolute powerful mission to now inspire people with the power of forgiveness and also to find their voice. This is an amazing podcast episode. Madeline, uh, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to and you're going to learn so much from this episode. But Madeline, thank you for coming on to the podcast episode and again, thank you to all of the patrons supporting this podcast. Thank you, Chris Lovett, Sherry Brenton, Anthony Howe, Steve McDermott, and Rory Barnes for your continued support. If you want to find out more about the patron community, head over to the link in the show notes. But without further ado, enjoy the episode with Madeline Black. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unlocked. Today, my guest, I am joined by a speaker, author, podcaster, and sexual violence activist. Welcome to the show, Madeline Black. Hello. Thank you, Ricky. Lovely to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I did say to you, didn't I, that I will eventually have you on. And I did reach out to you on LinkedIn and said, I will come to you soon. And now the time is finally here. So thank you so much for coming on. How are you? How's your week been so far? So far, it's, it's good. It's Friday today, so that's always good. <laughs> good, yeah, good. Yes, I'm really looking forward to this. So, Madeline, there's there's a really powerful story that you have that is absolutely it's, it's unbelievable, but absolutely amazing. And I can't wait to obviously deep dive into this because the, the mission that you have right now in, uh, in empowering others to find their voice is, is just beautiful. So um, before we deep dive into that, to give the listeners a little bit about who you are uh, and what you do, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Yeah, well, I share my own lived experience. I'm a survivor of sexual violence and I really share it to in the stigma, the shame, the silence that surrounds rape and sexual violence, but really to help other people, men, women, find their courage and find their voice too. Because I think, you know, when we don't speak out and it, it eats us up inside, it occupies too much space inside our bodies and it just holds us back. So, uh, yeah, as you said, I'm really passionate about helping people find their voice in the silence and speak their truth. Yeah, I love that. And the story that you have is just absolutely it's quite if i'm honest for, for me as um uh, <laughs> was that a dog Sorry, that's, <laughs> that's my right. co-host <laughs> no worries no worries um so yeah for, for me it's 
this is it's quite a challenging conversation because in terms of empathy and and terms of imagining this which we're going to speak about in a second uh, I, I think you're absolutely inspirational woman so uh, madeline if, if you're happy to share um to sure. the listeners tell us about your story that's kind of got you to this point now of helping uh, others when you said it's quite an unusual story i would have to actually correct you and say my story is just a common common story of many women and men somewhere on this planet every day someone will be raped so you know I don't think my story is extraordinary maybe how I walked it through it might be a little bit different to other people but it basically started when I was 13 on a night out with a girlfriend did what most teenagers did you know lied to our parents um, bought some alcohol her mum was away so we lied to where we were both meant to be staying had the use of an empty flat got very drunk and subsequently two young men from the cafe we were drinking in secret and took us back to her mum's empty flat and they both proceeded to rape me over a four to five hour period. Came quite close to being killed but one of them stopped what I call the worst one. Didn't think it would be a good idea thankfully otherwise I would not be here today and have married my husband and had my three fabulous daughters. Um, Yes so that's what took place and Even then, you know, back in the late 1970s, being 13, I had bought into these rape victim messages, all the rape culture that was around, that if I spoke about it or told anyone, they also threatened to kill me at the very end. But I believed it was my fault. I had taken on so much shame. You know, um, what, what did I expect? I'd lied to my parents. You know, I wasn't where I was meant to be. I'd been drinking. We'd met boys. So I just thought it was something that I had brought on to myself. So we didn't speak about it and just went back to school as if um, everything was normal. But clearly, you know, what we don't speak about has got to come out of your system somehow. And again, it affected me in many, many, many ways for many years until I finally got the courage to heal, I guess. Yeah. And I've noticed in your story that there was a time where, when you went to, to to speak about what obviously happened, you wrote a letter, I believe, to your parents. I did, um, mm. because I, I couldn't find my actual voice. It was like just numb in my throat. I had, it was a late, it was a night that I'd gone out, which my mum said, don't go out. So I was very rebellious. I think I was hoping that, I don't know now, maybe subconsciously, if I behaved really badly, they would just guess, you know, they would understand. I would go into her room and just stand there. And never say anything. I was hoping that she could just extract the information from my head. Obviously, that's not possible. So I did write this note. And eventually they called my friend who was involved. And she said it didn't happen. Like I said, it had that, you know, they were nice boys. They just brought us home. They were both um, sons of diplomats. And they they wouldn't have done that. But uh, they did. Um, My dad wanted to go to the police. And he was insistent. And I was terrified because I thought they would kill me. And my mum was just really quiet and it took me a lot of time to understand her silence and she has given me permission to share her story and to write about it in my book and I didn't know my dad didn't know he never knew even when he passed away that my mum had been raped as an eight-year-old by a neighbour several times so she'd never got help she never went for therapy I've had shitloads of therapy over decades which is how I've got to where I'm at and um she just, you know, had to process it all herself. So she couldn't say anything because all of her unprocessed trauma in that moment just came up to meet her and she was just silenced. So, mm. yeah, but I, I misunderstood that for a long time and harboured a lot of resentment towards her thinking, oh, she doesn't believe me either, but that was never the case. 
Yeah. And at that point, when you are, you know, you're openly sharing the the horrific experience that happened and then to obviously your friend to obviously say you know this this didn't happen to that point on I I guess how did how did you proceed with just keeping it I think you've mentioned this before on another podcast about like the -the jack-in-the-box about pushing everything down and trying to live your life how how do you yeah have the courage to, to carry on with life knowing that this unspeakable thing had happened and then obviously not doing anything about it like nothing would happen you know your friend denied it obviously you wanted to take it further how did you live with that well I guess I, I, I wasn't really living I was doing whatever I could to block it out to numb out to push it far far down like you say that jack-in-the-box um it wasn't really it was existing you know I was just going through the motions at that point I hardly spoke I became really I guess selectively kind of mute for a few years I was a teenager already but I just kind of grunted responses within my family, didn't really converse much with them. And they, before they knew what happened, they actually nicknamed, nicknamed me the Ice Maiden because I was just so, like, shut off. You know, it's amazing how we can just detach our head or our, from our heart and just numb out. So at that stage of my life, I was drinking quite a lot. I was doing a lot of drugs. I developed anorexia. I had already attempted suicide. I'd spent six months in a children's psychiatric ward and even in there they didn't get to the bottom of why I had this depression but I just spiralled out of control and just hated myself just didn't think there was any point to me was just in a a dark dark hole for a long time Mm. yeah well it's really difficult to you know to to imagine anyone going through obviously what you went through and I know that now that you it kind of from that point on you went out to I believe is it Israel to spend a, a year working there and you met obviously your now husband I and did. that kind of changed your life around a bit it did but you know my parents suggested because they discovered you know I was doing a lot of drugs and my mum thought I guess what she thought was a good idea at the time but the worst thing for any teenage daughter is that she called every single one of my friend's parents to say exactly what we were up to so I wasn't too popular <laughs> at that point at school and she said you know why don't you just go away for a year get away from the bad scene so I did I went to Israel my first six months on kibbutz seems to grow grass wild everywhere. So maybe in reflection that we laugh about it. I said, you took me from one drug scene to another big drug scene. So that was a good time then. But then I met, oh, sorry, there's my host again. Uh, then I met Stephen at Glaswegian all the way over in Israel. And yeah, it did, it did really flip my life around. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm absolutely amazed by your story because one of the things we, we discussed when we first met was that you, uh, you've done an amazing TEDx talk so for, we'll put a link in the show notes for anyone to go watch this it's an amazing uh absolutely emotional story and um I know now that you're on this incredible path and this journey to uh, inspire people and empower people to find their voice and uh you know to speak up and how did that what was the spark that then started you on this journey you, you've obviously gone through this yeah. life-changing experience and kind of pushed it down uh, in, in that jack-in-the-box metaphor and then started to kind of have a life and a bit of a family and kind of carry on and then at some point there was a catalyst I believe when your daughter turned a certain age that's then started to yeah Anna became 13 so the age that I was and you know I'm a psychotherapist as well so it's always going to come back we always think we can push it down and never face it but looking back now again I wasn't I was existing I had put on this veneer this mask and you know I pretended everything was great I was a perfect mum the perfect wife and I had the perfect homemaker but actually underneath that I was 
I was like a swan, I guess, you know, just uh, graceful up above, but paddling like crazy to keep up all the time. And it, it was tough because it was exhausting. And Hannah turned 13 and all the memories, the triggers, the nightmares, the dreams, the pictures just came in. And I decided to go to therapy, really the worst kind of client, because I said, I want you to take these memories away. And he said, well, about a lobotomy, it's not really possible. You know, they, they come back, I understand now, when you're ready to face them. And I just thought, you know, I didn't want this to be my weather, to have a, hover over me all my life, you know, till the end of my days, constantly being afraid, having so many fears and phobias, paranoid about being around men, being out of control, my safety. It just impacted everything that I did, you know. There was so much um, risk assessment, I guess, went into every single thing that I did, even to put the bins out if Stephen was away, to put them at the end of the garden. I think, oh, well, they can just wait till next week. It's fine. I'm too scared to walk in my own garden. So fear was my friend for years, a long, long time. So as you say, yeah, I went back to therapy and just, I guess, near to the end, my therapist at the time, Ron, said to me, um, you know, maybe these men weren't born rapists. And I was just so angry with him I thought how could he say such a ridiculous statement of course they were they you know they're animals and blah blah but he just planted a little thought like a little seed in my head and it just started to take shoots and started to grow and ground itself in me and I thought you know maybe they weren't and it just sent me on this journey of inquiry of trying to understand I mean, you have a little baby and you look at that baby and you think they're a blank sheet. They come into this world perfect beings, I yeah. believe. And somehow they get corrupted. They get conditioned by hopefully not parenting, but, you know, experiences, schooling, education, influences, all that stuff. Sorry to put the fear of you into your lovely little baby. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But yeah, you know, we, they do. They get corrupted and conditioned. And I just started to wonder what had gone so wrong for these two young men? They were only like 17, 18, so they weren't much older. They had a privileged lifestyle, doesn't make any difference. But how do they know to be so violent and just dehumanising to another person? How do they have such little regard for me? Um, and somehow, don't ask me where it came from, because I was never going to forgive them. I felt compassion in my heart because I thought, you know, I've done really good job of living my life because I very nearly didn't become a mum but I thought if I don't do that they've won so I thought my best revenge is gonna have my girls or oh, I didn't know there were gonna be girls obviously at the time have my kids and just live my life as best as I can I tried to refuse to let it identify you know be my identity but obviously it did have an impact on me in the early days but I just thought they've got to live with what they did to someone and you know I've made the best of my life but I think that must be hard to live with how you've hurt someone and then somehow I just saw forgiveness and to me um I guess forgiveness is about understanding it's about acceptance it's about compassion it's letting it go you know changing what we desperately want to change letting go of that idea that actually I can't go back and change history this is what happened to me because in those three years I saw I had the ability to drive myself crazy because I was so caught up in denial. And I used to say to my therapist, you know, I've worked at Women's Aid for 14 years. I worked at Rape Crisis for six years. I'm a therapist. I've heard so many women and men's story. Maybe I've just got false memory syndrome. I would, I would just say everything and anything to avoid accepting the truth because I just thought, come on, if it was that bad, I, I'd remember that, but now I understand. 
as a therapist that you know I was a client at the time so my therapist said didn't come into it that um, we shut down what we don't want to remember what's too traumatic for our mind and eventually whether you believe it or not when it comes back you are ready to face it because I hated going to those sessions because I knew what I, I was working with I'd be sick in the sessions I would shake I would cry I'd just be hysterical before during and after and it affected me for three, four, five days, and then two days later, it was time for my next weekly appointment. So it was hell, those three years, and nightmares, waking up, thinking they were hovering over me, seeing their faces, but it is the most difficult thing I've ever done, but the most, um, I guess, liberating, because it allowed me to let go, and I never, ever thought (laughs) I would find a place where I could forgive, which doesn't mean I forget, You know, I could never, ever forgive the act of rape because it is a total violation, you know, not just on my body, but my mind and my psyche. And I'm not a forgiveness preacher. I don't tell people that this is the only path. There's there's so many paths to healing and everybody's path is going to look very different. But this is just how I chose to do it. And it really just, um, I guess it cut my links, you know, that was changed to them. But first I had to learn to forgive me because I was just a naive 13-year-old girl that went on a night out that went horribly wrong, basically. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's You mentioned obviously about my daughter and we were having this conversation beforehand. And, you know, I think pre my daughter, obviously I, I knew your story from TEDx last year. But now having a daughter, although I can't imagine obviously anyone going through what you went through, but now I have a daughter to think like you were saying there, for anyone to, to have that power of forgiveness, I couldn't imagine what I would be like, you know, if I my daughter had grown up and, and, and gone through that same experience. And to, to think like you were saying, you know, oh my God, how, how on earth has Madeline even forgiven these people? That's just something that's so powerful that, it, it, where does that come from? Where did that come from? I know that it was a seed planted, like you said, mm-hmm. from the therapist, but how did that then evolve into finally yeah, saying, you know? It was never for them. There's nothing about them. I didn't I didn't have to have a meeting, meet them for a cup of tea, write a letter from them or hear from them. It was for me because I was I put myself into a prison by all the trauma and just the re- denying it and refusing to let go of it. And by refusing to let go, you know what we resist, it persists. So the more I said all oh, this didn't happen, I would just be bombarded with memories. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> what's going on till I eventually woke up? I'm the one that's keeping me stuck in this trauma cycle. I'm the one that's perpetuating it. It's done. It had finished, you know, 30-odd years ago whenever I first went to therapy. Um, but I'm keeping this, these pictures alive, and it was always for me. It was never anything about them. Um, I don't wish them any harm now. For years, I was filled with revenge. I wanted them to experience exactly what had hurt me, you know, someone to take them somewhere, tie them up, beat them up, torture them for four or five hours so they would get it. But that would make me just as bad as them, really, wouldn't it? So uh, yeah. it was a bit twisted in some way. So I just thought, this is just for me. I've got to find a way to make peace with what happened because, you know, I'm 56 now, I was 13 at the time. If I continue to the end of my days, what kind of message is that for my girls that I struggle to give? What kind of message is that to anyone I'm working with when I was a psychotherapist that actually will stay stuck in our trauma for life? So I do believe now um, that maybe I've got post-traumatic growth, that actually we can grow through what we go through. And that has really shown me and helped me to show other people that 
all of us are just so much stronger than we think we are. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to hold on to all that negativity. It's bound to have an impact on our mind and our, our health, you know, our well-being. And to let it go was just like, oh, this is just a different yeah. life completely. So it's very freeing and it's very liberating. And it was always for me. It was never for them. Always. I love that. That's just brilliant. Yeah. Hey, it's Ricky here, and I'm just pausing the episode really quickly to remind you that you can watch video episodes with all guests, receive bonus behind-the-scenes content and extra episodes, all for as little as just the price of a cup of coffee. You can do this in the Unlocks Patreon community, but rather than me tell you why you should join, here's one of our Patreon members and what they have to say. Why do I think being a patron of the Unlock podcast is awesome? Ricky, that's it. I've known Ricky for a very long time. We worked together back in the day at Argos. He's always been supportive, engaging, and one hell of a magician. Still don't know how he does half that stuff. This podcast is everything that Ricky is all about. And being a patron, I get to support him in this journey. And I get to learn some really useful stuff along the way. We get some exclusive content as patrons. And it's so worth missing out on a coffee each month. So come and join us. You won't regret it. So just like Ant, to get involved, head to patreon.com forward slash the Unlock podcast or click the link in the show notes and come and join the fun. Now, back to the episode. Madeline, if I was to ask you a question, how do you define forgiveness? Yeah, I guess if you ask everybody, they'd all have their own different answers. So I am a story with an organization, which is where I first shared my story, um, and. 17 I think it was with the forgiveness project and it you know I when I was struggling well when the idea was planted in my head I actually was one of these people that went to their website and read all the people's forgiveness stories but for me like I said earlier it's about understanding it's about compassion recognizing that um I guess a lot of good people can make a lot of bad mistakes depending on their influences their how they've been corrupted or conditioned in life that ultimately we are, there is good in everybody. We might not be able to see that, and I didn't think it for a long time. And it's about acceptance. It's about letting go. It's about being good to myself, you know, because filled with hate and revenge and anger and plotting all these fantasies about them, it wasn't a healthy mindset. So, yeah, yeah it's all of those things. Yeah, it's not a, um, a, a great um, mix of ingredients, is it? That that's, yeah. It's only going to do damage, isn't it, and harm later yes, on in life? They, they, they call the exhibition that they run all around the world, actually, they have it in America and all around the UK, the F word, because it's a very provocative subject, forgiveness. You know, a lot of people will say, occasionally I get messages, how dare you tell me I need to forgive my abuser, my rapist? I said, oh, I actually didn't tell you that. Um, yeah. This is what I did. You do with it whatever you like, but... That's just where they're at with their journey. You know, I'm not there to yeah. influence anyone. They can take or leave whatever they get from what I say. You know, this is just this is just my journey. It's not about a self-help guide for everybody out there that's ever been raped or abused in some way. But for me, it was like the ultimate piece of my jigsaw of healing. It just was like, oh, you can let go. Yeah. <laughs> All that energy of holding on is exhausting, you know. Of course, yeah. And that's going to lead into everything, everything that you do in life. Yeah. So, so how is this now, the forgiveness, um, obviously it's so important, but how has this now impacted your life now? You, you mentioned the, the massive weight yeah. off your shoulders. So how has forgiveness now played this massive part in your life now? 
And well, when I, I look back and I look at that person that I was, it's like a different person. You know, I, I could never be spontaneous. I had to plan everything. I had to worry about, you know, if I drove to a multi-story car park, if I went above one floor or two, I, could I take the stairs? I can't be in a lift in case somebody comes in the lift and they try to attack everything. Every single thing I did, I couldn't go to the shops by myself. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I couldn't fly. I couldn't travel because who would I sit to next to? What if I fall asleep and they try and touch? Everything, you know, was just corrupted by what had happened. So all of that's left. You know, it occupied masses of space inside of me. And now it feels like there's it's taken away from inside of me and there's more space for me to turn up. You know, the me that I was before this trauma happened to me at such a young age and more of that as well. So I feel not only five foot two, but I feel a bigger person, you know, <laughs> like inside the capacity to be me, I guess, to be spontaneous, to be a bit more genuine and to be, yeah, I suppose it sounds cheesy, authentic, but yeah, to be who I really was meant to be before this ever happened to me. Yeah, fantastic. And I'd love to hear about a little bit about now, you've obviously gone through this now, you're in this world of forgiveness and you've now started that journey and the the story that you've you've obviously been sharing is on the forgiveness projects website so we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well but you obviously have wrote a book called unbroken uh which is the same name i believe as your podcast as well it is yeah well the podcast is unbroken healing through storytelling because i really believe Um, in the power of sharing stories absolutely fantastic so tell us a little bit about this journey now so we've we've you've got an amazing TEDx I know I've said that already but it is absolutely uh, beautiful beautiful TEDx so tell us about the story now what is it that you're doing now with this forgiveness idea and, and the unbroken the story tell us about the little book yeah, and, well, I, uh, what's happening I never really intended to be a speaker or an author and I, and I suppose these things don't just happen to you but it really does feel like that so I met an extraordinary woman called Marion Partington all of the Forgiveness Projects events are normally based in London, and I live in sunny Glasgow. And Marina, who's our founder, says, you know, Marion's doing an event at a school in Shorelands in Glasgow. Is that near? But it's like two minutes down the road. So I went to this. It was a multi-faith event, and she spoke. So she is the sister of Lucy Partington, who was murdered by Rose and Fred West, the serial killers. And when she spoke, you know, she just emanated this peace. Even when I think about her, it just makes me so moved. And I just saw the impact that she had on the audience. And she had written a beautiful book called If You Sit Very Still. And when I met her at the end of the night, because she's a fellow forgiveness project story, um, she wrote in my book, Now You Must Speak. And I thought, you know, I could maybe do that. I'd only just shared my story. It was, you know, a few months prior. And the moment I had that thought... Literally, um, I do believe that somebody had my back because all the words just came to me, you know. I would sit, I would try to sleep at night and I couldn't sleep because they were flying around my head and then I'd come back to my Mac in my office and it, and I just started writing. Literally, like eight weeks later, I'd written 70,000 words and I somehow, whoever was supporting me because I discovered, you know, the publishing process, you know, applying looking at all their guidelines, sending off to publishers, to agents, the first three chapters, your synopsis, your covered letter. And I had loads of rejections, which is normal. But in about three months, I also had a contract. And I thought, oh, looks like I'm going to I'm going to publish a book then. <laughs> now, now it's an audible. I've had my first translation. I'm Italian, which is quite nice to say. Brilliant. I hope I get more translations because we know it's a global issue. Sadly, it's not... Um, Anyway, just, you know, related to the UK, women all over the world or men will have experienced rape or sexual violence, abuse. 
And then the podcast really came about, I guess, through lockdown. So once I shared my story, I was asked to speak. And I've been very lucky. Every time I've spoken, someone in the audience will just say, could you come and speak here? Could you come and speak there? So I've never really looked for speaking gigs. And then I was working as a psychotherapist. And I said to myself, you know, maybe I should just focus more on speaking because I'm I'm speaking more and more. And then it's not fair to my clients if I can't make it. And I wouldn't like to let people down. And then I said to myself, I, I kind of like signs. I said, you know, I'd love to work internationally. But I thought, oh, that's never going to happen. And that was late December, a few years ago. And then literally I woke up on December the 1st, I had a Skype call with a lovely man that I met at PCA conference, Paul from Johannesburg. And he said, you need to come and speak at our conference. I was like, oh, you've only read my book. You've never heard me speak. He said, no, that's it. I've read your book. You'll be a good speaker for our conference. So, okay. I went, okay. And then a few days after that, I was contacted by somebody who'd also been at a book event. I didn't know that she had also been the former health minister in the island of Maldives the country of Maldives and she said we're putting on the conferences funded by UNICEF would you come and speak I went let me think about that yes so that was my <laughs> yes. first international gig so that was, I thought these are good signs but obviously um two years ago we had lockdown and that all started and then like everybody in the events industry uh, my career was just starting so I wasn't super established anyway and everything dried up and I just thought you know I know I know brilliant people from the Forgiveness Project, and I'm also part of another organization called the Global Resilience Project, which is run by Emma Bell. And she's taken 50 of us, she calls us her thrivers, all with very, very different stories, and we've all kind of overcome adversity, but are now all thriving. And she wanted to, I guess, research us. So she's got nine steps, nine secrets to thriving. I think that's the audio or audible book, that's what it's called, Nine Secrets to Thriving. And so from there as well, I know these brilliant people. And I just thought, what am I going to do? I've got no speaking. And I thought, I'll start a podcast. So it was kind of my gift of lockdown, really. And it's brilliant because Marina, who started the Forgiveness Project, she doesn't call us storytellers. She calls us story healers. And I just think, yeah, you know, when we share our stories, I don't really do it for me now. I do it for what it can do for other people. And um, I really believe in the power of sharing stories and somebody hears something that's similar or something resonates with them. It gives them a bit of hope and positivity. And that time in lockdown, it was just miserable time. It was so doom and gloom. So I started it. It was November 2020, I think it started. So it's just been over a year or so now. So, yeah, it's going good. It's now top 1.5% globally of all podcasts. I'm in just over 80 countries. So, yeah, it's quite fascinating how it flies through the the air and lands somewhere else. But yeah, it's, it's been brilliant. I love doing it. Absolutely. I, I think it's an amazing thing that you're doing. It's it, it's so moving what you're doing, you know, and, and looking at all the people that you are now helping and inspiring and empowering them to, to find their voice. And, you know, I know that you, you have this great quote, which is that we are not defined by what knocks us down but we are defined by how we get back up and you are, yeah, a wonderful woman now helping these people to find their own voices. So I guess really as a, as a last question, Madeline, before I kind of uh, explain how more people can find out more about your book and obviously the podcast where they can find you is if someone is listening to this right now, who hasn't found that courage to find their own voice and speak up or even wanting to seek forgiveness, what would you say to them right now? listening to this episode. It's never too late, never too late to find a voice to go and get help and get support. You know, find a therapist, find a friend. If you can't find a friend or a therapist, 
write it down. You know, stop denying your story. Start, write it down and then whisper it to yourself. You know, tell yourself your story because we all get so caught in denial and we minimize it. We don't want to believe it, but it holds us back. It really does when we can't free it from the insides because it just occupies too much space. I, I often tell a story of being interviewed, sorry, Ricky, by fabulous people. You are one of them. But I was very <laughs> privileged to be interviewed by Sir Trevor MacDonald, mm. Radio 4, and my friend's mum had been listening to the show, and basically she was 84 at the time. That night my friend went to see her, and she told her own story of being raped as a teenager, and she'd never, ever spoken about it. She just said she wow. heard this woman on the radio, and everything she said was just like what happened to me. I thought it was my fault, but now I think he was to blame and she what are you talking about? And so when she told her that day, she ended 61, 64 years of her silence. And she said she's just changed, you know, it's just lighter, more energized and a different woman and more secrets and more stuff is coming from her mum. So yeah, it's, it's never ever too late to find your voice, find your courage, get support, get help and be the person you're meant to be without all of this. It's a beautiful message. Madeline, thank you for coming on to the show. If people want to find out more about you, uh, more about the book, the podcast, or even want to get in touch to have you speak at the event, how do they find out more about you? I have a website, which is madeleineblack.co.uk. So I'm on all the social media. So I can't put my, can't say that. All the social media channels as well. I need to put my teeth in. So yeah, you'll just find me wherever. Brilliant. And we'll make sure we'll put some uh, links in the show notes for everyone to find. Madeline, you've been an absolutely uh, amazing guest to come on the show. I think your story is just absolutely incredible. And I love what you are doing now. Like you said, that, that great example right in there. Someone in their 80s now speaking up. Uh, thank you for coming on and just being a wonderful person. And all the best to you and everything for the future. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. Thank you, Madeline, for being an amazing guest. And you can find out more about Madeline's amazing work that she's doing her TED Talks and her books as well by heading to the links in the show notes. But if you did enjoy this episode, don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, leave us a review and a rating and it'll get this podcast shared to more people. Anyway, thank you for listening to the Unlocked Podcast. Take care and good luck unlocking the best version of yourself. Goodbye. <laughs>